Welcome, and thank you for joining with us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church in Kannapolis, North Carolina. As associate pastor, Barry Murray shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. 1 John 4, verse number 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Well, you, well, you know, this is like the early church age, and there are already false teachers out there messing around. This is the early church here he's talking about. And imagine what's going on today. Verse 2. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, even now already it, I mean, is it in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of, they are, I'm sorry, they are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them, whereof we are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us, and he that is not of God heareth not us. wonder why the world doesn't know anything about us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not God, he that lo- I'm sorry, he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And that's the verse for this morning. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Jump down to verse 16, if you would. And we have known and believed that the love that God hath to us, and again we see this phrase, God is love. And he that dwelleth in him, he that dwelleth in love, dwelleth in God, and God in him. Thank you, Lord, for the word this morning. Thank you for the time that we gather around your word. And Lord, we ask you, please, I ask you, I've been asking you all week to please speak to us, encourage us, uh, exhort us, help us, Lord, in our Christian life. Lord, we need your love in such a special way. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you this morning for standing. I appreciate that. These first six verses are kind of give us the foundation for the chapter, so I wasn't going to talk about them, but I felt like I need to this morning to kind of lay some foundation. The Bible warns us about false teachers, about false prophets. He gives us this warning, having just established the fact that we've been given the Spirit of God and that we've been given an anointing to understand the things of God. And when we come to Jesus Christ, he gave us the very Spirit of God, so there should be an evidence in our love. So what I'm saying is basically in just kind of laying a quick foundation and we'll get right to the sermon here is that, listen, you should be able to tell whether someone loves God by the way they love. 
and what's going on. And, and, and even, listen, even though we have to stand and even though we have to sometimes take strong stands, even though we have to speak out against some things, we still ought to do that in love. We ought to do those things in love. So let's get to the message here. An old grizzled preacher, it's not me, was often asked this question. What subject do you prefer to preach on more than any other subject? And he would say that answer is easy. I would prefer to preach on the love of God. On the love of God. And he would go on to say we need to look at God's love from a child's perspective. Because we want to recapture that childlike love that was so prevalent, even in the children's songs. Now, I know I'm the old grandpa preacher of the group. I understand that, and I grew up on maybe that old different type songs. But I got to tell you, nothing is more precious to me than the song, Praise Him, Praise Him, All You Little Children, God is Love, God is Love. Well, that, that's a very profound song. Uh, Jesus loves little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. They are all precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. You don't get much deeper when it comes to those songs. That's all you hear today, though. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. And that's the way you and I ought to live our Christian life, in Christian love, loving as Christ loved us. The older I get, the more I enjoy thinking about how much God would love me. A, a guy who is not worth much, a guy who, who, who really doesn't deserve to even be saved, doesn't deserve to even serve him, doesn't deserve to even uh, claim him as my heavenly father. And I've become more and more engrossed in the fact that he loves me so much he gave his son for me. And I think, could I give my children for somebody else because I love them? And do you realize if you could figure out percentage-wise, he gave his son to more people that hate him than love him through history. Yet he gave his son knowing that would be what would happen. God loves us so much. If you could take all the love that, uh, that husbands would have for their wives and all the love that wives would have uh, for their husbands and you put them all together, you still haven't come close to the love that God has. I grew up on three square meals of church every week. Did you catch that? I grew up on three square meals of church every week and I'm still alive to talk about it. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday nights. I grew up in a Nazarene church, and I think I've told you that before. It wasn't a Baptist. I grew up in a Nazarene church back in the day, but I had a, we had a preacher that would uh, belt out sermons uh, like we like. I sat in Sunday school class. I sat in Bible school. I went to revivals and tried to sleep, and I always had to sit with the preacher's wife, and she would pinch me and keep me awake. Because my mom would be in the choir doing something else, and we had to sit with the terrible place, the preacher's wife. I can't tell you one outline of one Sunday school lesson I heard in all those years. 
I can't tell you one sermon topic that the preachers that I've had over the years preached to me during those years. But there's one thing I know for sure from those teachers and from those preachers, and that is the fact. God is love. And that's all I ever learned. I got all I needed. Is that learnt a good word? My wife laughed, so I said learnt must not be a good word. Is that a good southern word? I learnt. Amen. Don't you put T's on the end of your words? Amen. I got to go. So anyhow, let's go on. Number, I'm going to give you four statements, and then I'm going to preach a little bit, and we'll get out of here. And uh, Lord willing, we should be out of here long before Pastor Ding is done. All right? <laughs> number one. Now, first statement is this. Very easy. God is love. God is love. These three words teach us more about God than all the systematic theology lessons combined. The most difficult verse in the Bible to understand is the one we probably first learned, and that was God is love. This verse is so profound, and it's so, uh, if you would, even understandable. It makes the theologian stutter if he thinks about it. It's a huge mountain to climb to even describe how much God loves you. What do you mean, preacher? He loved you so much, he sent his son for you. Can you, can you understand that? No, I can't understand that. I can't understand that. Maybe you can, I can't. Second statement is this then. Notice the verse doesn't say God has love. God has love. It says God is love. It doesn't say he has it. It says he is love. The ocean doesn't have water. The ocean is water. The river doesn't have water. The river is water. Uh, yes, God does possess love, but that is not what the verse is teaching us. In this verse, uh, love is not an attribute of God as it is in John 3, 16. In this verse, it's a synonym, uh, synonym, a synonym for God is love. You with me? There's a difference. What does this mean? It means he is a fountain of love. Leads me to the third statement. Third statement is this. God is the reservoir of love. God is the reservoir of love. Unless you get tapped in on God, you have never really loved anybody in your life. I'm not saying you don't have a love for people. I'm not saying you don't love a spouse, but I'm saying until you get tapped in on God's love, you really haven't loved anybody. There's a big difference. Big difference. We'll get that in a second. Uh, you cannot because God is love. And if God is not in you, then true love is really not in you either. And when we were born, there was a reservoir of love in us, but not like God's love. And this reservoir loves me. And when I got saved, the reservoir became available to me. I'm going to get preachy in a second here, but it's amazing how ungodly, how unloving so many so-called believers are today in our world. It is scary to think someone claims to be saved and have God's love and acts, acts like a heathen and does some of those wicked things you could ever imagine. 
And usually it's with their tongue. The tongue no man can control. That's another sermon from another day. We'll get there later. But if I can tap into the very nature of God himself and receive love from the reservoir of love, which is God, man, how much farther ahead am I going to be in my life? By the way, this isn't God taking a cup of love and pouring it my way. Uh, This is God taking the whole ocean and baptizing me with it. The difference between God's love and man's love is man loves because of. But God loves in spite of. We love because of usually there's a bar, There's a bargain there. There's a contract. I'll do this for you. You do this for me. We love each other. Amen. That's good preaching. Now, I know, husbands, you can't say anything right there, but you ought to be shaking your head a little bit. I'll catch it. (laughs) It's a swap. We swap. But God's love is a love I love you in spite of anything you can do for me. In spite of anything you can do for me, I love you. And I will love you. What do you mean, preacher? Listen, it, 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 listen, I'll be very basic and very simple. It's amazing to me that when your favorite player leaves your favorite team, you all of a sudden hate the guy you just loved. The, reason, the only reason you loved him was because he was doing something for you. He was helping your team win the game. That's good preaching, by the way. When he goes somewhere else, all of a sudden he becomes the enemy. It's amazing to me how we live in a day where we can change spouses so quickly and not think about how fast we change our love because they can do something else for me that somebody else couldn't do. It's a scary thing. And it's not God's love, by the way. God loves me in spite of who I am. In spite of who I am. You can tell the love you have by you love them because of the good Or you don't love them because of the bad. Which one is it? I would hate to stand at the altar and say my wedding vows to a lady that I believe I love, but I'm more caught up in her sparkling eyes, her luscious lips, and her long, pretty hair. Those are what I love. So I'm going to go ahead and marry her. I have news for you, John. Someday, that's all going to be gone. (laughs) Yeah. Ladies, you love him because he has that long, flowing, bushy hair. I have news for you, Mary. One day, it'll be a bold dome. (laughs) He's not going to be there. I was in the other day getting some paint for our kindergarten room that we're redoing down here for the... Are you excited about the new kindergarten class starting? I'm excited about that. I'm so excited I'm fixing the room up. Anyhow, but I'm working on the room down there. I was getting paint for it, and I walked in the room, and someone else walked in the store, and we're talking a little bit, and the man was saying, can you believe my grandparents have been married 67 years? And here's what he said. How can you live with somebody that long? That's what he said. That's what the guy said. 
And I said, well, how many times have you been married then? <laughs> he's a young guy, probably in his 40s, you know, and he's laughed at me a little bit, and we got talking. I said, well, I find, I find a good thing is you have separate bedrooms. <laughs> Maybe sometimes different houses. And I'm being funny about that with him. But, but it's amazing how someone, people can stay in love for so long. But listen, Mary, one day he'll be bald. Or you love him because he has that great physique. One day he's going to Dunlap over. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just telling you how it's going to happen. Hey, man, that's just the way it's going to be. And we got to be careful. You mothers, you carry that unborn baby for nine months. You read and study about babies. Then that baby begins to kick. And you begin to think, boy, is this a boy or a girl? Is it going to be healthy? Is it going uh, to have blue eyes, brown eyes, green eyes? Is it going to be, be someone like 11? You worry about that baby. And uh, you begin to build a reservoir of love toward that baby. And normally speaking, that reservoir that a mother has for a baby never goes away because that baby was birthed out of her. And this morning, you and I have been birthed to our Heavenly Father. And God is love. And He loves you in spite of what you've done, who you are, what you will do, where you will be. He loves you. If there was no other reason in the world for being saved, it ought to be that I can truly possess the real love. What a great incentive to being a child of God. I can possess real love. I'm glad I'm not going to hell. I'm glad I'm going to heaven. But now I'm realizing I'm even more glad I can have God is love in me all the time. And I can now learn how to love. Let me just paraphrase this. Paraphrase. Let me say, uh, just because you love somebody doesn't mean it won't hurt. Unfortunately, the truth of the matter is, the more you love, the more it's going to hurt. But you love in spite of. In spite of. But now I can offer those I care about. Not only the love of God, but the reservoir itself I can offer to those people who I love. So how can I learn to love more? I guess is the question. I'll get the fourth statement here in a second. How can I learn to love more? I increase my love only, only when I let more of God in me. If God is love, then the only way I can increase my love is by allowing God to have more of me. The only way. The only way. It leads me to the fourth statement. See, our life is separated into many rooms. Some rooms are open and some rooms are closed. Preachers coming to your house to visit. You don't know he's coming. You hear... You see him come up the sidewalk on your ring doorbell. Hey, Mary, here comes the preacher. Oh, don't let him in. And for the next five minutes, you rearrange your living room. And you close every other door of the house. 
Oh, preacher, so glad to see you. Didn't know you were coming. <laughs> and he walks in the room. He walks in the living room. He sits down there. He says, oh, your house is very nice and very beautiful. We love it. Can I see the rest of your house? <laughs> uh, no, 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 preacher. No, no, no. no I really wanna, we, we, we didn't have time to clean up. And we would really prefer not. And sadly enough, that's the way many Christians live their Christian life. God, you can have my living room, but the rest of the rooms are off limit. It's junky, it's messed up, it's got problems, so we just kind of close the doors. When we're in church, we close the doors. When we're trying to be Christ-like, we close the doors. We don't let them in there. And the problem is when you do that is you're not allowing the God of love to come in those rooms, and guess what? You're not having the love of God you want to have because you're not allowing him to be in those rooms. He's in those hidden rooms. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And we've used this many times to lead someone to Christ, but this verse is not talking to lost people. It's talking to saved people. He said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. And what we're doing in our Christian life is we are learning how to compartmentalize our rooms and some God can have and some he can't have. And you see what's happening today in Christianity because of that. And you can sit there and name the rooms if you want to. I'm not going to label rooms this day. But listen to me. When we open the door and let Jesus in, let God is love in, we are just, we just invited love into that room. When you open the door, it's not an embarrassing situation. It's a time you say, you know what, I'm letting God in because I need love. However, he may come into the house. He doesn't live in the whole house. Do you have a room in your house that's yours? I hear there's such a thing called man caves. <laughs> I wouldn't know about that, but I hear about that. I like more of a man garage. <laughs> and I'm just saying, you know, man garage, man boat, you know, man stuff like that. That's me. But I got a man cave. And the wife can't go in the man cave. Okay, I, I, I got that. But can God go in the man cave? Can God come in the man cave? Can he come in your closets? Can he come into your attic? Why? So you can be filled with love. Because God is love. That's what we want. That's what we're after. That's what it's all about. Just let him in. It seems we don't want them in those rooms. We would be amazed how wonderful it can be when you say, Jesus, come in. You can have it all. You can have the man cave, the woman shed, whatever it may be, Cheryl, she shed. You can have that place. You can have an uh, attic. You can have my basement. You can have my garage. You can have it all. I love that commercial, by the way. And uh, you can have it all. Cheers. Why? I want your love. To permeate in my house because you're love. We all want to be loved. We all want to be cared for. And we want that love to grow. I want to grow more as a husband. I want to, as I get older, not put up with my wife. I want to love her more. 
And I would hope wives would want to uh, not just put up with their husbands, even though he does some crazy things in the man cave. Uh, I would prefer that she would learn to love him more. I prefer, as I grew older, even to love my in-laws. Because that love is growing inside of me. There were two, two buddies in a church one time. They were best of friends, two men. They did everything together. They lived close to each other. They served God together in their church. They went out visiting, and they did all kinds of things together at church, and they did all kinds of things. And one day, they decided to get a little business dealing. In a business dealing, one man decided that the other man had taken advantage of him uh, in the business. They became enemies because they allowed money to come between them. They lost that, they lost that love. They lost that compassion. I think if I ever cheated someone, I would hope I cheated someone in, business, in a business dealing like that, that whatever it would cost me, I would give it to them because I love them. We are selling our love out today for a few dollars that you're not going to keep anyhow. I would even, if I had to, sell my house to give the profit of my house to make sure things were right with me and that best friend of mine served in the ministry together. Why? To make things right. What we're doing today is nonsense for a few dollars, for a few material things, for a position. Well, I'm going to go over there because they blank, 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 blank do this. God help us today. God help us today. Oh, you can tell where they're at because then they badmouth you when they go. somebody else, I promise you they'll badmouth you to somebody else. Guarantee it. Take that to the bank. I'd even put savings on that money. The kind of love I'm talking about today is the kind of love that Abraham had concerning his nephew Lot. Visualize this with you with me this morning. He had taken Lot as his own son. He had raised him. He had clothed him. He had put a roof over his head. He, he helped him along the way. In fact, he even set him up in business. Lot had uh, like cattle and herds, if you would, and he had servants and he had uh, people serving him. And uh, Abraham, he had servants and he had cattle that he had given to Lot to help his nephew, treated him like he was his own son and treated him and took care of him. Well, how do you know that? Well, because one day the servants were fight, fussing with each other. They were fussing over which was the best land, which, which blade of grass is better. And I got to tell you, you show me two pieces of grass, I have no idea which one's best. But they're fussing over things. And they, they wouldn't get along and they couldn't get along. So Abraham got together with Lot and said, uh, we got a problem here. Our servants are battling back and forth and they may be, you even get uh, dangerous before it's all over. We need to do something here. So Lot said, Abraham said, I'll tell you what, here's all the land that I have. You pick the best land out. You, I mean, you pick out whatever land you want to, and you'll take that, and I'll go the other way. 
Now, first of all, let me tell you, Abraham had no business even thinking about doing that. It was all his. But he loved Lot so much, he didn't want that contention to go on between them. He said, you know what, I'll tell you what. You pick out wherever you want to go, you go that way. All each other back and forth. Uncle Abraham, you're saying I can have whichever one I want? I can go whatever way? Yeah, you take whatever you want to go. So Lot did what you would think he would do. He chose the most beautiful, the most well-watered plains toward Jericho and Sodom. And basically, Abraham was left with a lot of land, but a lot of nothing. A bunch of stones and high plains the plains of Judea, and Abraham had nothing, and Lot had everything. Just to stop the fussing. Why? Because Abraham loved his nephew Lot. And he wasn't going to let something called land come between them. Some of you are out there, not me, brother. Where's a shotgun at? <laughs> and, and, and to be honest about it, you'd be right. You'd have a right to protect what's yours. But that's not God's love. And you have a right to do that, and I, I defend you. You can do what you want to. But Abraham loved Lot so much, he said, you pick it. Do you see God's love here in the picture? Lot goes to Sodom, and he gets in sin, he gets into trouble, he gets himself in a mess. It gets so bad, God decides he's going to destroy Sodom, right? That's a story, isn't it? Oh, I'm going to destroy Sodom. It's just a wicked, terrible place. And what I found amazing is that God told Abraham what he's going to do. Abraham, I'm going to destroy those cities over there. They're wicked and they're bad. And I know your nephew's over there, but I'm going to destroy them. I'm tired of all that mess over there. And uh, woe unto America, by the way, if God didn't say the same thing to us. Just a free one. But, uh, uh, but so Abraham begins to think, oh, man, oh, man, I love Lot. I gave him all that land, and I'm sorry he's in Sodom. I'm sorry he's in the midst of all that. Not that he was living that way, but he's right in the middle of it. And Abraham begins to think and pray, and the love of God is oozing out of Abraham. He's trying to figure out, man, what can I do? So Abraham does the only thing he knows he can do is go to God. He begins beseeching God. God, is there anything we can do that you'll spare them? My nephew Lot and his family, they're in that town. And I'd be devastated if they, they, got, they were destroyed because of that. Is there anything we can do? I wonder if God said, uh, Abraham, you do remember that Lot stole your land. You do remember the Lot stole what was yours, don't you? Don't you remember that? After you reared them, clothed them, fed them, took care of them, helped them earn all these things and give them this thing, then you gave them that land. Do you, do you realize that you're asking me to spare this guy that, I don't know if God did that, but I guarantee you I'd say that. You made him because he was child. Why should you care? It does not matter to God. It does not matter, God. I 
love my nephew Lot. And I'm begging you, please don't destroy that city. In fact, he even says, God, if I could find 50 righteous people, if I could find 50 righteous people, God, would you spare Sodom? Would you save it? And finally, God gives in and says, yes, I will. Because God knows. I wonder if Abraham went to Sodom or somebody there he knew or even lots. Hey, do you know how many people here know God? Do you know anybody in this town doing right by God? Do you know anybody here in town? He found out the answer was like, he goes back to God. God, uh, uh, how about 45? God says, okay. How about 35? I mean, 40. Um, God says, okay. You know, the story goes all the way down to 10. And the sad thing about it, folks, is that God knew that there wasn't even 10 righteous people in that city of Sodom. That's a tragedy, by the way. It's a tragedy that one city doesn't have 10 righteous people. It may have only had one in Lot. Why? Because he loved Lot. There's no reason in the world why any believer in Jesus should ever stop loving anybody else. This morning, listen to me, there is no reason that we should ever say, I don't love them anymore. And the truth of the matter is, it means you really never loved them to begin with because you loved them what they could do for you, not in spite of. That's where we're at today. Well, they're just not in my camp anymore, so I don't love them anymore. Boy, isn't that the way America's gone? Man, you're not with us. We're a hater. We're hating on you. We're going to hate you. What, what, what a dreadful place we're at in our country. We don't just dislike people. We hate them. We want to destroy them. You know what destroying somebody? That's evil. Evil is when you destroy somebody. That's what's going on right now. We want to destroy you, tell lies about you, spread untruths about you. We want to share things bad about you. We want to slander you. And then once it happens, there's nothing you can do to get it back. It's gone. Oh, but we love all Americans. No, no, we don't. Just the ones that are in your camp. But anyhow, it's another sermon another day. In fact, you don't stop loving anyone for any reason. If you have God's love, God didn't quit loving you in spite of you. He doesn't quit loving them either, in spite of them either, by the way. And if you ever find yourself saying, I don't love them anymore, that is not God's love because God's love never fails. Never fails. Okay, you ready for the sermon now? How do I get that love? I want it. Well, don't be like Simon and try to buy it. It's not for sale. Maybe the most profound thing I say all morning. Listen to this. You don't get that love. You get that God. You don't get that love. You get that God. When you get that God, then you get that love. We got it backwards. You then can love in direct proportion to how much God is in you and how much God controls of you. You can't never love, never, and I know it's not right, 
ever love the way you should until you got God in you. I know it leads to other type of things, but, you know, we need to get a new phrase going. Is God in you? Is God in you? That's how we get the love. Why? God is love. So let's get them. Let's get them in me. What, uh, what would you do if somebody left, hold, left you holding the bag because of love? I heard a pastor one day preaching, and he said this, and, and I believe him. He's a man of integrity. I, I believe what he said. But he said, he said in the years of his ministry, he figured out one day that he had paid off $15,000 in other people's debts that he co-signed for. He paid that off, and the people still had whatever it may have been, whatever it was for, car or whatever it may have been. Now, first of all, don't even ask me to co-sign for you. I love you in Jesus' name, but we're getting too carried away. But he had so much of God's love in him for his church people. He wanted to help them. He would be willing to go co-sign uh, for them. And then, when they, and then I can't believe that someone would go ahead and belly up and not make the payment and make your preacher pay for you. Because you're putting his name on the line. But he said, $15,000. I'm going to give you $15. Some people have hatred in their heart because they do not have much of God in their heart. We must decide, is our love a counterfeit love or is it a God's love? By the very nature of the position, pastors get get slandered. They just get flat out lied about. Well, how do you know that? I are one. I've been through it for many years. I understand how it works. Hasn't changed anything. It's not something new. It's been going on for a long time. But by the very nature of the position, because it's better to slander the pastor than slander me. So it's easier for me to say something bad about them than to say something bad about me. And I'll tell you this if folks talk about others, I mentioned they're going to talk about you. Don't forget that. But the pastor who loves God's people, even though while he may. be best for them, that's when you find out whether your pastor's got God's love or not. And I will tell you this, yes, they'll do that, but yet they still hurt. Because it's not an easy pill to swallow. As somebody you loved and you cared for so much would do that about you. I took our church over Calvary Baptist Church in December of 2000. Just there a few weeks in the office getting things together and just getting things set aside. And I was going through the visitor's card to see who had been visiting our church over the last couple of months. And I began going out and visiting those visitors who come to our church. I had to have our uh, song leader, our, our music guy, and he was a, a layman from our church who had been there for years and kind of was the pulpit committee head. And I said, hey, can you take me down to Pittsburgh? And uh, I got to find his address. I didn't know where I was going back in the day, long before... Uh, long before uh, we had the GPS and the girl yelling at you all the time. And, uh, and I said, hey, can, we, uh, can you take me down? And we went down, went down to visit. We found this guy, young man in his 20s. And I walked in and sat down and talked with him. And, and just a broken man, broken heart. 
grew up in a church, saved in a Baptist church. His dad was a deacon. Uh, I think he still was a deacon at that church at that time, just heartbroken. Uh, he had got married, and his wife had basically took everything and left them, and so he was just kind of going around looking for churches. I've spent, I don't know how many hours, I've spent hours, I've spent with my, like I spent with my children with this guy, trying to get him healthy spiritually, trying to get him back on his feet with God. Came and joined our church and, and got involved and, and uh, did so many things for us. Just a young man, boy, I was so, so uh, happy for him. Sad for him because he had to deal with his, his wife. And I didn't realize it when we got there, but there was one of our girls from our church was off of Bible college. I didn't know that. She had graduated, and she was actually on staff at this college. And she came back to visit uh, one time. Didn't, I didn't know anything about her. She showed up, and, and over, to make a long story short, after a while, these two got together. And she moved back to the area, and I married them, counseled with them, helped them along the way, and uh, did what I could. Maybe their first boy was born. I was there at the hospital. It was like it was my own grandson. I mean, you put a lot of time into that. This guy would call me for counsel all the time. In fact, it drove me crazy, to be honest about it, always about everything. You ever have somebody ask you questions to what they should do, and then don't do it? He was one of those guys. But he was sure to ask me about it, and he would still do the opposite. But uh, anyhow, his uh, family uh, was growing, and he's had a boy, and uh, his wife was a, a worker, a hard worker in the church. His mom, his, her mom was there, whatever. And uh, over time, this thing went on. They, they built a house uh, not too far away from us, but up where, uh, a little far away. And all of a sudden, one day, I noticed he's missing services. And began thinking and praying about it. I, listen, I love this kid almost like a son. This girl had told me, because they, they were actually our youth leaders. He was our youth pastor. And she had told me, because y'all building a house up there? And she said, oh, we'll, we'll never leave our church. I was from this church. I was raised here. I, I, we're not ever going to leave. And guess what? Over time, they left. Now, look, folks, when someone pulls your family member right out from under you, how do you feel about that? I considered him almost a son. In fact, we called him son. He lived across the street from us for a while. He'd come over and have dinner with us, and we did whatever. And he rips it right out without even talking to me about it. But then the bad thing was his wife began to talk about us at the other church. Folks, that hurts. Anybody agree with me? It hurts. But I still love that man. And I love that girl. I call her that girl. I love their kids. And if I'd see them, I'd hug them right now. And why? Because I want to have God's love in me, not Barry's love in me. And it's not worth whatever you think it's worth to try to get even with that and talk about that and whatever. Why? Because I have God's love. Is it easy? Are you kidding me? It's not easy. But it's the right thing. It's the right thing. Usually doing the right thing is not always easy. First, I was probably more hurt by the fact that he wouldn't come talk to me about it because we've been through everything else together. That was, I, I don't know. I, I don't know why a man can go sit down with a man and talk out their differences. That's usually what, men, what a man does, by the way. A man goes down and sits down and talks out the problems, not runs and talks about it to everybody else. But 
Anyhow, that's just a man thing. But I have the cure for us today. What's the cure? To get more God in me, I've got to fall in love with this book. Fall in love with this book. Let God of love consume us. It'll get you to the point, guys, you'll even love your mother-in-law. We need that love. Do you know Jesus' feet never took him anywhere he shouldn't have gone? His heart never had a motive that was wrong. His mind never thought unholy thoughts. His tongue never spoke a word that was wrong to say. His ear never took in something that he shouldn't have heard. And he who knew no sin was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver by one who walked with him for three years in his ministry, by one who carried the bag, meaning the treasury, the money, the one who counted the money, the one who wrote the checks is the one who's going to betray him. The people who have loved him, stripped him of his clothes, beat him with a cat of nine tails until you couldn't even tell that who he was any longer. They nailed him to a tree. They placed a crown of thorns upon his head. They slapped him across his face. They placed a, bar- they placed a borrowed Roman's uh, uh, robe upon his back, and they acted, acted like he was their king. Perfection was being tried by imperfection. Strength was being uh, trial by before weakness. And listen to the words he utters from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. What is that? That is Jesus Christ having God's love in him. Father, forgive them. That same love is available to you and I today. It enters into my heart. Love enters into us as he gets into us. We become love. Listen to me this morning. I'm done. If you're here this morning, I don't know everybody today. Has Jesus Christ entered into your heart today? The first step is salvation. The first step is asking Christ to be your savior. And then we spend our life asking God to move in. Because what you're doing is you're asking love to move into your heart. God is love. And the more he moves in, the more we love. And the more we can deal with these things of life we're going through. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Thank you, Father, for the love that's available to all of us. Thank you, Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church, events, and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbckannapolis.com.